going to be talking uh, here in a moment about uh, belief changes, about God and about faith and all of that. And we mentioned on Discord and Facebook and Instagram, if you're following us in some way, uh, to kind of be prepared that that's our topic for today. Um, but uh, I thought to ramp us up to that, um, we might talk about belief changes that are more of like the funny variety, like from when you were a kid and you believe things that now are just totally ridiculous. Or uh, as as Jen uh, and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week, she was like, oh, what about the, you know, the hashtag of I was today years old when I learned. So they don't have to be from when you're a kid. But uh, to tell them myself, so this is something that I used to believe. Uh, when I was a kid, I so I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, and I believed that LA, the city, and Louisiana were the same thing, because Louisiana's abbreviation is L-A, right? And we learned the state, uh, like, abbreviations in class. And so I was like, I remember there was a there was a class project where you pick a state. And I was like, hey, I'm going to pick L-A because, like, I was just getting into popular culture and movies and music. And I was like, L-A is, like, the coolest. And I was very disappointed to learn that Louisiana is not the same thing as Los Angeles. So that was disappointing. Uh, Jen, do you have something that you, uh, that you, uh, a, a, a belief you used to have that you slowly learned was not true? Sure. I mean, this one's a little, a, weird, a little fuzzy of the definition, but I think, I think it totally fits. Okay. So, you know, like the Disney logo, the signature, like D Disney, you know, the D looks really weird. And so like my entire life, I feel like it wasn't until I was like 12 years old, like I always saw it as a the D as a G and like, even though that doesn't make sense, like the word is Disney, but I just did not see the D. But like, I remember just one day like zooming out and being like, oh, it's a D. It's a D, it stands for <laughs> Disney. You're not alone there. I've already yes. seen a couple of people in the chat who've said, yes, me too. That's me too. I 100%, that's oh, like a, I was today years old because I think can, it was like a couple of years ago that I was. Can learned, I screen was, share? Can you let me screen share? I just want to please, like, please. provide a visual. I think, I, here, let's, let's, uh, let's just, we, we want to take a look. We got to do some analysis. A full look at the D in Disney. So yeah. uh, Jen, please show us just so we can see okay. how difficult it is to see the Disney. I, okay. I like if, if you've been convinced your entire life that it's a D, we're going to show you right now. This is very confusing. It's not a D. Look at this. It does not look like a D. Looks like a G. <laughs> not at all. It? I see yeah. a G. I see a backwards G. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So confirmed. And uh, okay. yeah. Look, why is the Disney D so weird? Like everybody. There we go. It's number one. It's, it's number totally one true. on Google. Why is it? Okay. Okay. We're packing up for today, guys. That was a wonderful service. We're going to see you next week. So glad you were with us. We, <laughs> we're done. We solved We've, the, solved we the hard the problems. Code. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay. So, uh, no, uh, as we mentioned, uh, today is the third Sunday of Lent, and that is the 40 days leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, this is the annual rhythm in life uh, that we look to this pattern of death and resurrection. That's what uh, Lent brings us to, loss and renewal. Jesus dies and then is raised on the third day. This is pattern is all over life in the world. And Lent reminds us that uh, God is not separate from this pattern. God participates in this pattern. That's what we see in Jesus. And so there's uh, one story in particular uh, that we've uh, been working uh, over the last couple of weeks as we've begun Lent, this picture of 
um, uh, post-resurrection Jesus uh, meeting a group of friends that were walking on uh, the road to Emmaus, a town in the Mediterranean world. And, uh, and uh, the, Jesus comes and sees them. And these were previously disciples of Jesus, but they do not recognize him. And the idea is that having gone through this suffering, having gone through this death and then being raised, Jesus was a bit unrecognizable. There were, there were things about him and suddenly they do recognize him, but there were things about him that were different. He cannot go through this uh, difficult thing without being changed or transformed in some way. And the same is true for us. We cannot go through difficult or challenging things without being changed or transformed. So we, of course, have the pandemic in mind as uh, this week we hit the year mark on the pandemic, March 11th, when Tom Hanks uh, was uh, said to had COVID and then uh, the NBA shut down. I'll always remember that as a basketball fan. Uh, but yeah, we hit that this week. And so we have that in mind, but we also have any of the losses or the deaths or the sufferings that you've experienced or the upheavals that you've had to endure. We cannot go through any of these things without being changed and transformed. And Lent encourages us to, if we want that change, that transformation to be a good thing, to be a growing thing for us, to look for that pattern of death and resurrection, loss and then renewal afterwards. That's the pattern we're looking to. So uh, I think that this pattern, death and resurrection, is a perfect thing, uh, to a perfect lens to look at our topic for today, changing beliefs about God. So our beliefs changing, evolving, transforming, going through periods of like re-examination is completely normal. That happens to every person. It is such a healthy thing. You're not bad if it's happening to you. Your pastors have this happen to you too. And that's not something I should hide or be, you know, uh, less transparent about because, oh no, they'll, they'll see, you know, if they believe that my faith is in flux, oh no, they'll know I'm a fraud. Like, no, I don't, I don't have to hide those things. I do not believe the same things that I believed last year at this time, certainly having gone through this pandemic, I do not believe the same things that I believed 10 years ago or the first time that I ever had a spiritual experience or started identifying myself as a follower of Jesus. I, I, there's been so many changes and upheavals and growths and transformations, but most church traditions in America, I don't think talk about belief change this way. And I do think that's important to recognize that belief changes are usually understood in church settings as like leaving the team or a betrayal uh, or temptation, you know, that you should resist uh, as not being serious enough or my favorite, uh, which is a bit more charitable, but it's also kind of patronizing a phase that you'll eventually grow out of, right? That we often hear belief changes or belief transformations or beliefs evolving talked about those ways. But my encouragement is to set those aside. And if you've experienced uh, somebody treating you that way in a religious setting, I just wanna say you're also, that's also totally normal. That happens a lot. I'm sorry for that experience. What I wanna encourage us today is to use this lens of death and resurrection to use that as our model to understand what's happening when our beliefs are in flux. This feels important because we like, not because we have to come to some enlightened belief or else we're doomed, but I think we're always gonna have doubts or questions and there's gonna be mystery. But I do think that there is like some, there is a threshold somewhere. And it's, it's like your beliefs are sustainable enough, good enough, helpful enough, and if we're not up to that threshold, like, 
faith is just going to feel like a chore. It's going to feel like swallowing a bitter pill. Prayer is going to feel like, why am I even doing this? And maybe you have some sort of like family structure or long held conviction that you should stick with it. And so you stay with it. Maybe that works for you. But I just think if it's not, if your beliefs are not up to a threshold that are working for you, it's always going to feel like a slog. And if it's past that threshold, I don't think that we understand everything. I think we still have questions. I think we still have doubts, but if it's past that threshold, Faith feels more unencumbered. It feels actually good. And that is what I want for us. I, I speak with so many people who just feel like they have to believe things that they hate. They have to believe things that like tear their soul from the inside. And I just don't see that getting us anywhere. And I want to say, like, I think if you can take one thing away as we go along today is that the world of belief is bigger than you think. There are beliefs that can be above that threshold. They're not going to solve all your problems for you. They're not going to answer every question you have. But I think they're above the threshold. And this church can help you find those. So uh, I asked, uh, I want to invite Jen, uh, if you could help me for a little bit here, um, because uh, I, you've been around the church for a number of years, Jen. And so you kind of have a feel for, uh, I think, the way we do things here and maybe some of the people who've uh, walked through our midst and, and, and had good experiences with God here. Uh, so I tried to make a list of belief changes that people have experienced here in our church. Uh, things that we've either talked about in some of you or tried to, to get people talking about in small group settings. So uh, I'm going to ask Trey to put up on the screen my list of things. I'm going to kind of run through them. And then, Jen, I want to hear what am I missing or what, do we, what thread do we need to keep pulling here? So, uh, okay, these are belief changes about God and faith that people have experienced here at Brownline Church. So number one, about sex and relationships and what is healthy versus what is unhealthy. Uh, for example, uh, purity culture, a phrase that not everyone will be familiar with, but if you are familiar with that, you probably recognize why belief change is uh, pretty important there. Uh, we've uh, had belief changes about God's view on sexual orientation and gender and the inclusion of LGBTQ individuals. We've had belief changes about the Bible and its role in our faith and lives and what perspective it's coming from. We've had belief changes about the role of white supremacy and patriarchy informing what we all think is normal about beliefs in God. We've had belief changes about the Holy Spirit, about what it means to experience the divine, about prayer, like what is prayer? Why pray in the first place? We've had belief changes, here's a big one for me, about the cross and about uh, this uh, concept of atonement theory, which is the popular American belief that I personally do not hold to uh, for lots of reasons about what's happening on the cross. This idea that because God is perfect and humanity is sinful, in order for God, this perfect thing, and sinful humanity to have relationship, a price needs to be paid. And Jesus on the cross is that price. Again, I don't personally hold to that being what is happening on the cross, but that is the popular belief. And so we've had, this has been a safe space for lots of people to investigate, like, why is the cross important? I think it's really important, but what is going on there? We've had belief changes about the intersection of faith and politics. How intersected are those things? In what ways are they intersected? We've had belief changes about the, like, what is heaven? Who is saved in an internal sense? And, and who is who is included in that? 
We've had belief changes about the conceptions of hell. I remember a really excellent talk that Kyle gave some years back where we looked at each of the instances in the Bible where we get in, in English Bibles and uh, Bibles translated to the English language, we get the word hell. We looked at each of those instances and kind of talked about like, interesting that we've come up with like this idea of eternal torment when that doesn't necessarily tie very well with what we see in the Bible, which supposedly this is about. Very interesting. What, what We've had belief changes about those things. We've had belief changes about the problem of evil. How can we how can we square the existence of a good God with the fact that horrible things happen, that evil things happen, that senseless suffering happens? This is a super important one to me. Uh, polling actually suggests that uh, this is the number one issue for people who regard themselves as skeptical of faith. It's this one right here. And uh, this is another one where like popular American beliefs that try to answer this question, like there, there is some sort of reason that God might allow evil or senseless suffering. That doesn't do it for me. That doesn't help me. I, I, uh, my earliest uh, experiences of faith uh, involve uh, feeling uh, help in grief because I lost my mom to cancer at a young age. And I, I personally, like, I can't believe in a God that allows senseless suffering, even if it's for some mysterious reason. That doesn't work for me. So how do I make sense of that? It's a great question. This is a safe space where we have discussed belief changes and tried to make that normal and tried to not be afraid of that. And so, Jen, I'm curious, like, as we, as we, as I lay out this list for us, like, is there anything missing here or um, what do we need to ask more questions about? What, what does this uh, hit for you? I got, I got a couple things. Um, okay. One, so one to add, that I think is a big topic in our household um, and just, uh, for some background about my husband and I, like I found faith later in life, like in high school on my own, did not grow up in the church. Um, and I've always been sort of like non-denominational settings. And then my uh, husband found faith later in life also in college and, uh, uh, but in a very charismatic uh, evangelical, um, very strict um, setting. So that kind of colors our experience. But the thing he, he and I talk about a lot is, um, uh, what he wrestles with is the struggle of um, just getting grace, like not like he thinks he has to punish himself. Like the tradition mm. he's come from is a, is a faith where you're uh, flogging yourself before Christ. Basically, you are I am, like you just are always repeating your worthlessness and your um, your flaws and you're weak. And that's why you need God. And it's a, it was a very like aggressive yeah. um, kind of like chest beating sort of faith. And um, uh, it was, uh, it was toxic in a lot of ways. And I, uh, and you know, we, the thing we always talk about is like, well, what about if you just, you just get grace because Christ died for our sins already. Like you just get it. Like you don't have to do anything, babe. Like, like, you just get it. And um, I think that's a really hard concept, especially in American church traditions where we're like individualist culture and we're capitalist culture and we have to work for things. We have to deserve because it's like, we have to deserve things, right? You have like, to deserve we, it. Yes. We even like, we see this in our social service systems, like welfare, everything. You have to prove you deserve this. I have to prove I, I deserve help. Um, but Jesus just says, here you go. Like, we don't have to prove we deserve anything. Um, and I think, I don't know, that's one. 
<laughs> yes, I love that. I think I think that's a, I mean, I don't love that, but I think that that's a really that's a really helpful thing to include on this idea of like but like that ties back to this threshold idea that I have. Like I am convinced that there there is no you know figuring out, you know, God and faith perfectly, but there is such a thing as faith that's below a threshold and above a threshold. And below the threshold, it's just it's a slog. It's so much work. It's so hard. You're so uh, you know, like like you said, like you're you're flogging yourself in order to do this, and I'm I, I just I am not convinced that that is the way to that that is the way to uh, loving prayer or having faith a part of your life, and that doesn't mean that you know the above the threshold like everything is easy or there is no discomfort, but I do think that there is a really important kind of like radar that we have, and churches don't necessarily teach us to pay attention to it, which is, it am I am I being a little bit too cruel to myself or like in the name of being religious? Uh, so yes, I, I just, I think that that's a really important one to add to this list. Well, no, 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 that's uh, just the, that, sorry, one, one more thought. There's just please. the idea of not, you know, I've been at churches before where um, I had to sign a document of like a bulleted list. And I love this bulleted list is very different for us. This is the bulleted list of like, freedoms like uh of of knowledge and like freeing ourselves rather than narrowing ourselves yes yes yeah great point uh, one thing that um is uh, is true about the way uh, our church does things here if you've been around this will be a review for you uh but if you're relatively new is we uh we'll, we'll often say that we don't have uh membership here in terms of we don't ask people to read a statement of faith and then sign on the dotted line below that that they agree with that statement of faith uh in terms of how people connect with this church we of course have people who uh, raise their hand and say i'm invested in this at a higher level uh, i want to be when i come and be a part of this church i'm not just thinking about my own experience i'm thinking about other people's experience and we call those people stakeholders you're you're you have a stake in this community uh, but it, connection to this community is not about agreeing with a central statement of faith that everybody has. I, I, you know, one, another way that we often talk about this is like, actually, maybe, maybe this isn't like often brought up from uh, up front in a community like this, but everybody in this church believes something different. Like if you really, you know, like follow every logical uh, um, jump that we're all making and that's okay. It, like there are enough things that hold us together. There are enough values that we're pursuing and there is enough room in belief in the God that Jesus shows us for that to be viable. Uh, I think that's a really, really cool thing and not a threat. So what I what I put together for us is uh, some do's and don'ts about what to uh, how to react when you are experiencing yourself like having some belief changes. Uh, and so let me run through these, and then maybe we'll see again, Jen, what's missing or what we need to talk more about. So first off, my, uh, number one, I would say refuse shame and don't freak out. <laughs> That's our first do when our beliefs are changing. So we are choosing as our model death and resurrection, not you're either in or you're out, or it's a phase that you're going through, but eventually you got to get back and, and be aligned with the team. We're choosing to understand sometimes beliefs change because of that pattern that Lent shows us. Sometimes things need to die so that we can be raised to things that are greater, that will be unrecognizable in some ways from what was before, but will be so much more powerful and good for us. So there's there's a lot of fear in religious settings that um, people will 
uh, if, if they're given too much freedom, people will leave faith or, or lose faith uh, because, you know, don't do that thing because you'll learn that you like it and then you won't need Jesus or something like that. And I, I just personally don't worry about that. Uh, and, and that's why I'm encouraging us not to freak out. Uh, in my experience, like, I don't know, like, first off, like that approach of like, you know, be careful or else it, it doesn't really feel like it trusts God to be very interesting or, or meaningful or powerful. And uh, I personally, I personally trust that like, God is interesting. If we have an experience of God that will, that will move things for us. Um, but another part of this, I think that the reason that, that shame is often relied on in these settings, don't, don't look or else is because there's a fear that we might all just come to our own personal beliefs and truths. And so there's there's like a lot of energy uh, put against that. Don't, don't give people too much freedom. We, we kind of have to treat everybody a little bit like children uh, in religious settings. And the reason I don't love that is, is two things. One, so just to be like, if we're looking at recent history, I think that's taught us that it's the most religiously conservative settings that are more in danger of fashioning an alternative truth for themselves, less so than those who are more free-spirited thinkers. So I, I think that, you know, that, that's a really important thing just to say, like in recent history, we've seen this play out and it's not actually freedom. It's over the top conservatism that leads to that. But second, I, I don't worry about this because I don't think what we're talking about here, what I'm encouraging us toward here today to, to embrace belief changes, to not be afraid of that. I don't think we're talking about like, believe whatever feels right to you. I think what we're talking about, like that, even that is like, it's a, that's not maturation, right? Like that's an ego trip. Believe, believe whatever you want, you know, you're, you're the center of the universe. I think what we're talking about is like getting outside of you being the center of the universe. I think we're talking about getting into a place where we realize there are more streams that lead to this river we want than we thought there was. And th that's, that's getting outside of ourselves. That's not, that's not like honing in and, and just becoming like yourself. Like I, I just think about like, I will from time to time have a powerful experience. I wonder if this feels familiar to anyone where you're like reading somebody who's writing about uh, a nonfiction writer or a poet or, or somebody who's telling a story and it like, it has clear parallels with what you're experiencing and you read it and you're just like, yes, that describes my experience. I think like this is, this is what we're looking for. This is what, this is what it means to like go through a death and then find resurrection on the other end. When you read that thing or watch that thing that you're just like, I've been trying to put that into words and this just did it for me. So all to say, my, my first point here is don't freak out and, and refuse that idea of like, this has to be shaming. We don't have to feel ashamed when our beliefs are in flux or, or something's breaking for us. My second uh, do for us is to remember that you are not the only one. Uh, so you're definitely not the only one, certainly not here in this church. Uh, we want uh, to foster space, to talk about questions and wonderings. Uh, what, we're, what are we in the process of re-examining or questioning? Uh, a big part of that is on us as the pastors and leaders of this church. We have to demonstrate that this is a safe space. So we have to bring these topics up. We have to uh, tell our own stories of, of our own re uh, relationship to these difficult topics. And then we have to kind of, you know, like there's a lot of religious spaces where might they might say this is a safe space to do that, but then the way that they practice doesn't actually back that up. So we, I, I'm, I'm sort of saying to the best of our ability, we're promising that this is a space where we can do this. And then the other part of that is for some of you in this community to like go first and, and take us up on that offer of like, 
the more we do this, the more we model this for each other, the more it feels safe for everybody else. So we, uh, the, the, this remembering that we're not alone, it takes courage to, to remember that. But if it's true, then we'll be caught every time we jump. You know, that, that, that's the idea here. My, uh, my third uh, thing on our do and don't list here is don't avoid what's not working. So uh, I think that we often passively let bad beliefs continue because it's kind of overwhelming to re-examine things, right? It, maybe we don't, maybe we don't feel like we have time. Maybe it's just like, I, I, that's a Pandora's box. I don't want to open it up. Uh, but what happens if we do this is that over time, there's just like a little like background dissonance going on, you know, like just this, this inconsistency in things that this doesn't match my, what I want to believe or what I feel drawn toward doesn't match what I'm, I'm stating or what I, what I, what I think I believe. And, and just that dissonance wears on us over time, over time, we are not even sure actually, I think, but what we get to is like, we end up losing our faith or feeling like faith is no longer viable for us. And we can't even put a finger on what it was. It was just some like small inconsistencies that wore on us over time, death by paper cuts to our faith, so to speak. And then I, uh, what, I, what I think the solution here for us, like uh, instead of avoiding what's not working for us, I want to encourage us to kind of get active in leaving things behind that we think are like are on the death side of that death and resurrection, dying to old beliefs that are no longer serving us to be raised to better beliefs that will serve us going forward. Uh, so for me, uh, I think a lot about the problem of evil and of senseless suffering uh, with this one. So uh, as I mentioned, I personally cannot believe in a God that allows senseless suffering. Um, I like the one place that, uh, that this often shows up is with, um, with natural disasters. Uh, so if you're familiar with this language of like act of God, people will often use that language to refer to uh, something that happened. It, it was an act of God. It was the, the hurricane or the, the, uh, the, the winter storms, you know, that we just experienced. And I really, I, I try to be really vigilant about not using that language because I think it reinforces a belief that I, I, I am not behind the belief that natural disasters are acts of God. I think that they are chaos that happens in the world and that God is not allowing that. That is something else. Or I think about the cross with uh, what we talked about before, the popular atonement theory here. Uh, I, I, I personally won't choose a lot of very popular worship songs uh, for our music here at church, uh, even some that I like the melody or the tune of, uh, because the lyrics evoke like a wrathful God, an angry God that needs violence to love people or forgive people. I'm not going to choose those songs, even if I like the melody. So again, I would say that the world of belief is so much bigger than we think. I, I, I want us to feel, I want us to feel encouraged and not at all hopeless when we're in a space where it's like a belief is breaking for me. Uh, it's not working for me. What do I do now? I want us to feel encouraged. Like I remember uh, one of those examples of reading something for the first time that that grabbed me. Um, so I'm a pastor, so I'll frequently be doing readings about what uh, the Bible or about theology. And I remember on this topic of the cross and about what does the cross mean? I remember reading for the first time a writer who was writing before the time in history when this atonement theory, God is 
perfect and people are sinful and we need to pay a price so we can interact with them before that was developed. That was actually developed in the 1500s. So, you know, roughly 500 years ago. And uh, I was reading a writer who was writing in the 1300s, a guy named Thomas Akempis. And the cross has been this important thing in the Christian tradition forever. And so the Thomas Akempis is talking about how the cross is so powerful to him and beautiful to him. And it just grabbed me in a way that I had never, like, I'd never, I'd never seen somebody write about this before. And, and that was such an aha experience for me. Like, yes, the, the, this world is so much bigger than I thought it was. I thought if I didn't believe what everybody else seems to believe that I'm just done, that I have to like chalk this up to the loss column, but maybe not, maybe there is more out there. Or even this last year for our church, our church uh, made huge strides last year at the beginning of the year to be more explicit about being a fully inclusive to the LGBTQ uh, individuals. Uh, that We wanted that to be true of our community, we wanted to be more explicit about that. And in order to do so, we had to leave our affiliation with vineyard churches uh, in America that uh, was not okay with us being as explicit as we were. And so in doing that, I, what we've had to do is just search for new connections and new networks of people to interface with and, and find out how are you leading people towards spiritual health? How are you connecting people with Jesus? What's your read on the Bible? What's your read on this? And it's just been so fulfilling to me to, to realize like, wow, the world is bigger than I thought it was. And, and, and it's just by getting to know people who are, who are in the same river as me, but coming from a different stream. That's been really amazing. So I want to encourage us not to avoid what is not working? If there's some small thing that you just like, you don't bring up because it kind of feels overwhelming, I want to encourage us to lean into that because I, we can be hopeful. There is more out there. There are beliefs that are above the threshold for us. I promise you. So that gets me to my next uh, do don't uh, on my list here is to demand a faith that meets your threshold. Demand a faith that is working for you. Don't settle for an untrustworthy picture of God. So there are, Kyle and I were talking about this a little bit ahead of time, uh, and we were talking about how there are beliefs that need to die so they can be raised again. And then there are beliefs that just need to die. They will not be re-resurrected. And that's really important. So anything that makes out God to be monstrous or arbitrary or you, you can't trust that uh, him you that God is uh, is aloof or distant from us none of these I think are going to take us anywhere and we should not follow those threads even if it's a Christian or a church leader who is encouraging us to follow those things uh, I one theologian puts it this way if our God is not at least as nice as Jesus is in the Gospels then we're not talking about the God that Jesus shows us. If our God is not at least as nice as Jesus, then we are not talking about the God that Jesus shows us. So obviously we'll still have doubts. That I, 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 there, is, there is no such thing as finding a, a belief that's perfect and will never fail on you. But I do think that there are beliefs that are above the threshold that will feel more like they work for us. We can improve the situation. Okay, one last thing, and then Jen, I, I want to hear um, what you're thinking or if there's anything going on in the chat. Um, what I'm going to encourage, I'm, I'm going to use kind of the jargon uh, term, but then I'll explain it. I want us to look for a second naivete or a second innocence is another way to use it. We sang this song this morning, Innocence. We're looking for innocence. That's kind of like a, an important thing that we should, we should have a radar out for. When we find innocence, that's a good thing. So... The second naivete is something that philosophers talk about. 
it's it's it, it builds on uh, a picture from the Garden of Eden story in the Bible. Uh, and so what we uh, when we talk about second naivete, what that means is everybody in life uh, comes to a first naivete. And the first naivete is when like you're you're just so full of joy and and possibility and wonder. Life feels so amazing because because you're young and you're and you're naive and it's just be oh, the li life is full of, of 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 possibility so you like you fell in love or you experienced a miracle or you you know, you found faith for the first time and it was just incredible and the idea is at that point you're in the garden of eden uh, your uh, god is walking with you everything is perfect it's amazing but then something happens as philo philosophers argue something happens and you get pushed out of the garden and so somewhere along the line, you know, the honeymoon ends, right? Life doesn't feel so innocent and hopeful anymore. You get hurt. You experience injustice. You, you see witness injustice and, and things like, wait a minute. You start to question everything. Like, what, what, was, what was this doughy-eyed wonder and possibility I had? The, the, the world is, is scary and, 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 and worrisome and I should be freaked out. And something pushes us out of the garden. And, uh, and philosophers say this is totally normal, happens to everybody. To get through it, we have to make a hard choice. And they, there's, this, there's this little detail in the story of the Garden of Eden that I don't actually hear talked about in, in sermons very much, but philosophers argue it's a really important detail in the Garden of Eden, where uh, after uh, uh, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, it says that a an angel with a flaming sword is placed at the entrance. So it's like pretty intense imagery, a flaming sword, but essentially saying you cannot go back. They, there is no way they can get back into the garden. That joy, that innocence, that wonder, that, that possibility that they felt is gone. It's no going back. And so we have to make a hard choice because sometimes we feel like we want to go back. That's, that's everything what we want. If, for my, for my uh, uh, Lost fans, we have to go back. Anybody watch Lost and Jack was like, we have to go back. And sometimes we feel that we have to go back to uh, the garden where everything was perfect. I want to go back to that time when, you know, like before my beliefs broke. I mean, that is such a natural inclination. We often feel that. And then other times we might like, we, we feel cynical. And so we're not actually wanting to go back to the garden, but we're pointing at the people who do want to go back at the garden. And we're like, look at these losers. They want to go back to, do you know what? The garden was just a lie. It was dumb. Everything about that was stupid. And it, I don't even believe in it anymore. That's it. It's an interesting, it's another place we might get stuck. And both of those spots, they just feel stuck because they're both still obsessed with the garden, what it is or what it isn't, whether they can get back there or they don't want to get back there. And what, what the idea of the second naivete is, is we don't get stuck trying to get back to the garden. We continue to venture forward. And the suggestion is if we keep going, if we keep venturing forward, Eventually, what we find is we go all the way around the world. We travel all the way around the world and we can enter the garden again from the other side. And that is the second naivete, where we find that life is once again filled with wonder and possibility and joy. And it's not a false naivete. It's called the naivete because we have all of those childlike uh, you know, qualities to our, to our belief and to our hope and to our trust, but we're not actually naive because this has been a hard won and hard earned uh, uh, path back to innocence, path back to wonder. And so that's what we should look for. That's what we should search for. And I just love that. I, I, just, I, I think to me that is something that, yes, if, if I can have my radar out for that, that's where I'm going to find something that's above the threshold that will work for me. 
So Jen, just thinking about this do's and don'ts list, like what what's coming to mind for you? What's coming to mind for people in the chat? I just love Brittany. It just like shouted out Exodus. Like this whole thing is a journey. And yes, I love- exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, Ben asked a really good question. And uh, there was like a really great little discussion that sprung out of it. Just being like, hey, I don't get it. So we're supposed to embrace what's not working, um, which is a great, a great question. Um, and uh, it's, it's um, uh, whoever iPad 88 is, <laughs> my apologies, but uh, sometimes it's not so much about avoiding what's not working. It's about thinking that the way you've been shown or the model you've been given is the only right way. So you don't want to hang on thinking um, thinking that way, thinking it will write itself. It will the belief will not write itself on its own. Um, and, and I love how Ben signed, um, summed this up. He said, um, "So in other words, find better beliefs and let go of what's not working." I'm like, yeah. I'm what? Ready. Yes, exactly. I know. So I love that because it is so concise and simple. And I do think that that's possible. I think that the lie in what many of us have experienced in a lot of religious settings is that. If you leave, again, what we were talking about before, if you leave, if you have too much freedom, the, you know, like if you, if, if you think that you can go and do it on your own, the only like option for you is to come to your own personal truth with won't, which won't serve you. I agree. Your own personal truth is not going to serve you. That's like you stoking your ego and eventually, you know, things are going to fall and, and fail on you. And then you're going to be back in the same space again, but that's not what we're talking about. I, I really love the idea of just like, trust that if you let go of a belief that's not working for you, there might be belief that does. I, I want us to feel hopeful that like, again, there are more streams that lead to the river we're looking for than we think there are. And when we have these experiences where faith doesn't feel viable for us, or again, like uh, for me, there are these really particular things like the problem of evil or like the cross that just like don't sit right in my heart. And if my only options are just to like be like, all right, well, then I, I am no longer a believer in God because this is stupid or I'm just going to, you know, white knuckle it. I like those are not my only options. What if what if, what if the world of belief is so much bigger than I thought it was? It is. That's my that's my encouragement to us. All right. So. Where am I going to leave us? What I would like us to do is to think about, like, what about me? You know, it sounds like we're already doing that to some degree. What beliefs about God uh, or how life operates have we begun to question? What's happened this year? I wonder if anything going through the pandemic, you know, at the start of uh, of the pandemic about a year ago, uh, we uh, turned our conversation to kind of address these like uh, the pandemic is senseless suffering. And we tried to address that question really early on of like, we're not going to sit here and say that like God is behind this. How do we make sense of a world where there is a good God and there is senseless suffering? Like we don't want to avoid that. We want to talk about that. And so maybe that's something that's been that's been, you know, turned and poked at you because we've just been through this prolonged stretch of just like is this just meaningless? What on earth is happening? We just went through a global pandemic. How can I believe in God in the midst of that? This is a safe space where we can talk about those things. So maybe that maybe that is something going on in you. Or maybe it has to do with the cross, as I mentioned things like, oh, that's never sit right with you, or or you're just you just want to learn more about there. Or maybe it has to do with like the the uh, what we talked about, like the colonizing white supremacist roots that are in just about every form of American Christianity. There is so much there that just requires like 
we've got we've got to unravel some uh, some long balls of yarn to really get to the good stuff and to separate it from things that have just been used to hurt people and used to oppress people, which is the opposite of the message of Jesus. So maybe that's what you've been questioning or or sorting through, or maybe it's just that prayer no longer works for you. Maybe, maybe it's just that you've been through a prolonged experience, many months or many years, many decades even of not feeling God when you thought you were supposed to feel God when you did these things. Any one of these things, if you are engaged in these things, well, first off, like today, I'm going to host a breakout after uh, service. So I want that to be a first start that uh, that we can do. None of these things are going to be fixed overnight. Uh, if my, my second naivete image is any help, it's like, we kind of have to travel the whole world, uh, but I do think that we can get started on that or we can take the next step on that if you've already gotten started on that. And so I want to encourage you to hang out with me in a breakout after service if if you want to get into the meat on some of these things, not just talk about, uh, maybe you're like, this breakout is for you, I'll say, if you're sold that death and resurrection is the right model for belief changes, okay? So it's like you, you hear me and you're like, yes, okay, I'm ready to die to something to try to be raised to something else. And you want to start to talk about those things. Then this breakout is for you. But then furthermore, I think just to just to kind of like put a, a closing on this, I just I just want to say that you your your two options are not just pretend or leave faith. Like I, I firmly believe my experience has taught me there are beliefs that are above the threshold. You, you do, you do not just have to like, you, you, it is not, if you go and you, and you give yourself some freedom to search for new things, you are not destined to find something that's just going to be stoking your ego. You can find better versions of belief that will, that will make sense to you. And that will, won't answer all your questions, but I do think will pull you forward and make prayer feel alive to you where it doesn't feel like a chore or make God feel like a viable thing. Like in the moment of stress, you turn to God, not because you're like, Oh God, I hope this works because everything feels shitty excuse my language, but because, but you, you turn to God because you're like, I actually believe in a God that might be helpful to me here. And that's what I want for us. I, I, I want us to have the freedom to do that, to have like unencumbered prayer. Uh, so that's what we're shooting for uh, as, we, as we think about death and resurrection. All right, I've, uh, I've talked our ears off. I get passionate about this topic. So, you know, come and hang out with me in a breakout if you're also passionate. Uh, but I want to pray for us uh, before we move to uh, the close of our service. <sighs> maybe, maybe we all need to take a collective deep breath. Maybe as our our minds have been racing, let's take a deep breath together. Let me pray. God, this, um, I, have, I have come to a place that I really trust that you speak and that you want to speak about these things. I really trust that you are not a God that uses shaming as a tactic, even if many people in your name have used shaming as a tactic against some of us but you are not freaking out and your encouragement to us, I believe this morning is not to freak out. And so I, just, I, I, I pray that any of us um, uh, engaged in the service this morning that need to hear that there is hope, 
that there are more streams than we thought, that you would encourage us about that, that that would not, that we would, we would get to a place where we no longer feel overwhelmed by the questions we have or the doubts we experience that are so, so natural, the evolvings of our beliefs, but rather we would feel encouragement. We'd say, oh, yes, this is totally natural. This is what happens. This, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I am, I am not bad. I am not in trouble. And God is okay with me. And I can find the next thing. I can be raised to the next thing. I can be on the road to Emmaus and discover something. What? God is alive. I, I saw him die, but God is alive. What a gift that would be for any of us to experience today. Like in a, if we can get like a, like a taste of the whole meal today, that would be a gift. And so for, if you're if, if, like, as you're kind of engaging in this prayer and quieting your heart and trying to listen to what I'm saying, if that feels like you, I just like acknowledge that for yourself. And just, I encourage you to put yourself in like a receiving posture of like, I receive that there's possibility and hope for me to believe in prayer, in God, in Jesus in an unencumbered way that doesn't feel like a bitter pill. That meets my threshold for working. I receive that. And then for those of us who don't feel like we're in that space, I just pray like any amount of shame, any amount of I'm less than, or I'm a second-class citizen, or I, you know, I am still on that journey back to the Garden of Eden. I'm, I haven't gotten there yet. We just, I, I just, I pray your affirmation, God, over those journeys, over those processes, that we would experience just how spiritually healthy it is to go through stretches of time where we don't have all the answers, to go through stretches of time where we're not satisfied, and that is okay. I pray that you would dial down the anxiety for every one of us and that we would feel hope and we would feel possibility, that we would look not to be validated or not to, not to you know, stoke our egos, but rather we would look for that innocence, that, that possibility, that wonder, that second naivete, and then a third naivete, and a fourth naivete, and a fifth naivete as the, as the cycle continues. And I pray that we as a community can provide these spaces for each other as needed. Help, help teach us who are the people around me that I can make feel more safe on their journey. And who are the people who can make me feel more safe if I ask for it? Teach us that. Teach us that as we're together. And I pray this in Jesus' name, who shows us what God is like. Amen.